Welcome to Easy Bake Takes, the podcast where we read you the one-star reviews of your favorite movies and more. My name's Kat. And I'm Riley. Today we are doing The Road to El Dorado, made back in 2000. It's rated PG. It's an hour and 20 minutes. And I'll go ahead and read the plot. In 1519, Spain con artists Miguel and Tulio win a map to the legendary city of gold, El Dorado, in a rigged dice gamble though they ironically win the map fairly after Tulio was given normal dice from one of the opponents. After the con is exposed, the two evade the guards and accidentally stow away on one of the ships to be led by conquistador Hernan Cortez for the New World. At sea, they are caught and imprisoned, but break free and steal rowboat with the help of Cortez' mistreated horse, Altuvio. Their boat reaches land where Miguel begins to recognize landmarks from the map, leading them to a totem marker near Waterfall that Tulio believes is a dead end. As they prepare to leave, they encounter a native woman, Shell, being chased by guards. When the guards see Tulio and Miguel riding Altivo as depicted on the totem, they escort them and Shell to a secret entrance behind the falls into El Dorado. They are brought to the city's elders, kind-hearted chief Tanabok and wicked high priest Takokan. The pair are mistaken for guards when a volcano coincidentally erupts but simultaneously stops during an argument between them and they are given luxurious quarters along with a charge of shell. She discovers the two are conning her people but promises to remain quiet if they take her with them when they leave the city. The two are showered with gifts of gold from Tanabok, but disapprove at Takokan attempting to sacrifice a civilian at the god's ritual. Meanwhile, Cortez and his men reach land. Julia and Miguel instruct Tanabok to build them a boat so that they can leave the city with all the gifts that they have been given, under the ruse that they are needed back in the other world. Shell gets romantically close to Tulio, while Miguel explores the city, coming to appreciate a peaceful life embraced by the c- citizens. Two best friends, and one of them's gay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to <laughs> When Tejo Khan sees Miguel playing a ball game with children, he insists the gods demonstrate their powers against the city's best players. Tulio and Miguel are outmatched, but Shell replaces the ball with an armadillo, allowing them to win. Miguel's spares the ritual of sacrificing the losing team and berates Tekokan to the crowd's approval and earning Tenabok's respect. Tekokan notices Miguel received a cut during the game and realizes the pair are not gods since gods do not plead, hence the reason for the sacrifices. Afterward, Miguel, who has by then reconsidered leaving the city, overhears Tulio telling Shell that he would like her to come with him to Spain before adding he would like her to come with specifically him and to forget Miguel straining the relationship between the two. At a party being thrown for them, Miguel and Tulio begin to argue about Tulio and Shell's conversation, and Miguel's desire to stay when Tekokan conjures a giant stone jaguar to chase them throughout the city. Tulio and Miguel manage to outwit the jaguar, causing it and Tekokan to fall into a giant whirlpool, thought by the natives to be the entrance to Shibaba, the spirit world. Echo Khan then surfaces the jungle where he encounters Cortez and his men, believing Cortez to be the real god. Teco Khan offers to lead him to El Dorado. Miguel decides to stay in the city while Tulio and Shell board the complete boat before they see smoke on the horizon and realize Cortez is approaching. Suspecting the city will be destroyed if Cortez discovers it, Tulio suggests using the boat to ram the rock pillars under the waterfall and block the main entrance to the city, despite knowing they will lose the gold in the process. The plan succeeds with the citizens pulling over a statue in the boat's wake 
weak to give it enough speed. As the statue starts to fall too quickly, Tulio has difficulty in preparing the boat's sail. Forfeiting his ability to stay in the city, Miguel and Altillo jump onto the boat to unfurl the sails, assuring the boat clears the statue in time. The group successfully crashes against the pillars, causing a cave-in while losing all their gifts in the process. They hide near the totem just as Cortez men and Tekokan arrive. When they find the entrance block, Cortez brands Tekokan a liar and leaves away by taking him as a slave. Tulio and Miguel, though disappointed they lost the gold, unaware that Altivo still wears the golden horseshoes with which he has outfitted in El Dorado, has appreciated the thrill of their adventure and head in a different direction for a new adventure with shell two best friends <laughs> and one of them's gay the letterbox reviews it was it's feral i'm guessing feral absolutely <laughs> everyone said the same thing just in different words different ways two best friends and one of them's gay just like you and me <laughs> yep <laughs> all right a little bit of information about this movie we have our directors bibbo burron Don Paul and Jeffrey Kassenberg. We have writers Ted Elliott, Terry Rosio, and Carrie Kirkpatrick. They wrote and directed Over the Hedge, Carrie Kirkpatrick. That, oh my god, that's so cool. Is that what <laughs> both the movies we pick? Yeah. We have our cast, Kevin Klein, who voiced Tulio. He's Mr. Fish Odor at Bob's Burgers. Oh, he is. That's right, mm -hmm. he is. Oh, sorry, I had to think back who that was. Yeah. Sir Kenneth Braun as Miguel. Mm -hmm. Rosie Perez, who plays Shell. Armand Asante, who plays Tekel Khan. Ever James Olmos, who plays the Chief. Jim Cummings, who plays Cortez. That guy is a huge voice actor within the animation field. Like, that guy pops up everywhere. Oh, yeah. He's in everything. Frank Welker, who voices Altivo the horse. <laughs> and I wanted to include who did the music in this movie because it is literally what I grew up with. And it's some, <laughs> one of the reasons why I love this movie so much is because of not only the soundtrack <laughs> music, but also the scoring. Uh, music is by John Powell, who did the music for Shrek. He did all the How to Train Your Dragon movies. <laughs> and of course, Hans Zimmer. It's just... <laughs> It's more fitting here than it was with Over the Hedge, I'll just say. It is more fitting here. Like, you, you hear it in the movie. There's moments you're like, yes, that's Hans Zimmer right there. And I'm going to say something, and I do not mean it as an insult, because these are this is one of my favorite things. Mm -hmm. The music kind of reminds me of the music from The Sims. <laughs> it's, like, whimsical. Like, Sim <laughs> The Sims music is good, okay? But, like... <laughs> I would have... If you had made me guess what you were going to say, I do... Sims was not going to be one of them, but okay, we'll take it. And it's not an insult. It is uh, not an insult. I, I believe. I believe you. I believe you. Yeah. And of course, the person who did the soundtrack for this movie was the music by was Elton John, the lyrics by Tim Rice, and performed by Elton John. Gay icon himself, Elton John. Like, how do you watch this movie and think the two characters are straight? Friendship <laughs> never ends. He. <laughs> Someone wrote, I don't know if I remember included or not, but like he wrote a breakup song for them. Uh -huh. Like, of course, it's also one of my favorite songs from the movie. Like, Friends Never mm -hmm. Say Goodbye. Holy shit, I love that song. Um, Go listen to it. Isn't everybody a little bit gay? The amount of people, and we'll read this later, the amount of people who hated the soundtrack to this, I love every song in this are they homophobic <laughs> i think they are i do like there's reasons to dislike this movie and we'll get to that mm -hmm. later but saying the music was bad it's homophobic don't you dare insult sir elton john never do that 
Never ever do that. He's a sir, too. He is a sir. Sir Elton John, I apologize. You forget yourself, madam. <laughs> I do apologize. <laughs> sir Elton John. <laughs> we want some trivia. We got some interesting trivia. Mm -hmm. So the voice artists in animated movies usually record their parts alone with no other actors or actresses in the studio with them. In a break with the tradition, Kevin Klein and Sir Kenneth Braun recorded their dialogue together similar to when Disney's Aladdin had Jonathan Freeman record many of his scenes with Gilbert Godfrey. That's a funny comparison. <laughs> I don't know how Jonathan Freeman kept a straight face. Recording with... I bet he did it. I bet he did it. I bet it was not helpful. <laughs> it is microphone. <laughs> it baffles me that they do it alone because it's like, I feel like you would need like somebody to play off of. Yeah. I think it depends on what parts you're doing. I think it really just depends on the movie too. Yeah. If you're doing something together. It makes so much sense with this movie because... The two are, you know, so linked and so it makes sense that they recorded together. I think sometimes you can even tell in some movies where like there's no way they did, did this separately. Like you could you can hear how they were bouncing off each other. Exactly. Like you couldn't bring that energy by yourself. Mm -hmm. Definitely. This is actually one of the movies with my favorite voice work. Yeah. A series of sequels featuring Miguel, Tulio, Shell, and Altivo, and even the Armadillo going after other legends about gold was planned, similar to the Shrek 2001 film franchise, but following the disappointing box office results, they were immediately canceled. As a kid, I would have loved to have seen those. Yeah. But this was like one of those, one of the DreamWorks movies that just like bombed. Like no one went to go see it. And honestly, like, this is not to say that I don't enjoy this movie, mm -hmm. but I understand why this is not one of the more popular ones. Yeah, like, it's not, I think a lot of people have a lot of, a lot of thoughts on it who watched it as children. Yes. <laughs> but this is definitely one where I could see people being like, how, whose idea was this? Yes, exactly. There's a lot of reasons probably why this movie didn't do as well. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, you know, there's even a lot of people who don't remember this movie or didn't just see it. Yeah. <laughs> the kids who did remember. Yes. I will say I did watch this as a kid. Mm -hmm. I remember, I think it was more of Serena's favorite than mine. Or she enjoyed it more than I did. Mm -hmm. So I, I remembered it, but I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Like one of my earliest movie watching experience movie. Mm -hmm. It's not the first. Your parents had to watch it a thousand times. Yes. This was this was a, a worn VHS tape in the house. <laughs> Understandable. Tekel Khan's sacred book contains a picture of a man fishing from the moon, a take on DreamWorks logo. That is cute. This is the first DreamWorks animation movie not to earn a profit at the box office. It was one of the first few, wasn't it? Yeah. The Prince of Egypt had came out before this. That was a fucking banger. There's a lot of comparisons where like, this isn't nearly as good as Prince of Egypt. That is a good fucking movie. <laughs> it's a very, yes. And I'm not going to argue that this movie is better than Prince of Egypt. I wouldn't make that argument at all. <laughs> they had Whitney Houston on that soundtrack. They did. And also just different, different, different movies. Yeah. With different contexts and different tones. <laughs> you got the Bible on one <laughs> end. You got banger music on the other end. You got Ellen John. <laughs> you have the origins of Passover on this <laughs> side. <laughs> like Elton John did a great job, but they had like a mix of really talented people with the Prince of Egypt soundtrack. And like, yes, they yeah. absolutely did. I understand. I understand when people go like, this isn't nearly as good as Prince of Egypt. Like, I'm not going to make that <laughs> argument that it is. Like, I totally understand. Yeah. No, I, I wanted to do that movie, but I was, it's a little too serious for me right now. <laughs> yes. It is a little, I was thinking about that. I was like, I don't know yeah. if we could do that one. It's too serious. The tone's so different. It just it's is, a real thing. It's very <laughs> real. And like, I don't know. I don't think. It's a great movie. Great movie. I would have way too much Bible information for you if we did that. And I don't think you want that. <laughs> It'd be a religious episode. It would be 
Kat Kanzler's religious studies course. <laughs> I'm not letting eight years of Catholic school go nowhere, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't blame you. Oh, this one's really cute. This is a really cute fact. The armadillo that follows Miguel and Tulio throughout the movie is named Bibbo after co-director Bibbo Bergerson. Bergerson? Yeah. Oh, Bergeron. Bergerman. Bergerman. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's named after one of the co-directors. Yeah. That's cute. I love when they do stuff like that, too. Yeah. I didn't know he had a name because no one ever addresses the armadillo in the movie. He's just kind of there. Yeah. The story is inspired by Rudyard Kipling's The Man Who Would Be King, featuring con men who tried to trick the natives of an isolated city in Kafiristan with disastrous results, which I didn't know. I didn't know this was based on an actual story. Well, Rudyard Kipling wrote like the Jungle Book and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. This movie shares several attributes to the namesake, the quote unquote rogue comedies made famous by bob hope and bing crosby during the 1940s and stewie and brian from family guy yes <laughs> which helps explain anachronisms such as shared language pop culture references and lack of historical accuracy in homage to the veteran comedian during the song it is tough to be a god Julia and Miguel look into a rippling bowl of liquid. The reflection of Miguel briefly takes on the pronounced ears of Bing Crosby, while the reflection of Tulio morphs into the distinctive profile of Bob Hope. That's cool. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I never noticed that before. I probably wouldn't have clocked that unless I was told this. So I'm going to go back and look. Yeah, that's my favorite song from this movie, personally. That one, um, Friends Never Say Goodbye, that's my favorite. That's my favorite. And then yeah. The Trail We Blaze. Yes, The Trail, the trail We Blaze is good, too. good song. The Trail We Blaze. <laughs> <laughs> Austin always goes the road to El Dorado. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time because it's technically not anything. <laughs> yes, it's tough to be a god is definitely one that I would get. Like somebody would walk in on me with headphones, just screaming it, <laughs> dancing around, and I'd be like, "Yes, nothing. I'm doing nothing." <laughs> the songs of this movie are bops. I love them. Yeah. Anyone who says the the soundtrack is weak or stupid, I'm it's homophobic. <laughs> a little bit i think so <laughs> at the most extreme <laughs> yeah i am a huge fan of elton john me too so it is hard not to love everything about the soundtrack it's just good it's just good yeah and well it's cool that they um did that with the bob hope and mm -hmm. bing crosby road shows mm -hmm. those are such like a pinnacle of classic comedy too yeah in the first scene that Miguel and Tulio enter the city, the horse Altivo also mouths El Dorado. So as they're all, <laughs> as both of them are saying, oh, it's El Dorado, the horse also fucking says El Dorado. Yeah. So it's kind of fucking funny. The horse talks. Altivo walked so the horse from Tangled could run. Honestly, yes. Because if you think about it, they're the same character. They're doing the same thing. They exactly are. Altiva's way cooler, though. He's way less of a cop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The horse from Tangled becomes like a, a rogue cop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, a la Bruce Willis. Tiva's along for the ride, that's it. She's like, oh, we go outside now. <laughs> Wait, what did she say about Bruce Willis? I just missed that. <laughs> I said, um, rogue cop a la Bruce Willis, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> go on, go on. While Tulio, Miguel, and Altivo are lost at sea, a large shark comes up out of the water in the fashion of the classic Jaws book cover and movie poster. Jaws 1975 was directed by Steven Spielberg, who is one of the co-founders and principals of DreamWorks, which produced this movie. That man loves to reference himself. Yes, he does. <laughs> and I love him for it. It's adorable when he does it. Well, when you make something so classic, I mean, why not? Like, something so monumental. Yeah. 
The producers wanted Antonio Banderas to voice the part of Tulio, but refused the part for undisclosed reasons. He would go <laughs> on to voice Poos and Boots in DreamWorks animation Shrek film series and its holiday television specials, as well as the characters' theatrical films. It's funny that he turned this down, but was fine with voicing an orange cat for mm-hmm. the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, with the amount of money those movies make, I get it. Oh, yeah. Puss in Boots is a great character. Considering this one made nothing. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I love Puss in Boots. I get it. Yeah. It, they're good. Oh, yeah. this one, That was a good call on his part. It, it kind of was. I'm not dogging like, him for it. Yeah, yeah. Compared to everyone else in the animated film, Tekel Khan has his teeth individually carved out instead of a white line. This was intended to make him appear more lifelike, thus more intimidating. I guess the uncanny valley kind of thing. Yeah. Or like he, he sticks out as different. Mm-hmm, definitely. Mm-hmm. And he can bite you. Yeah, he's going to bite you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what I'm on today. Yeah. Uh, later in the movie where he turns into the jaguar it's kind of what he does a little bit he goes yeah they're toothy they're very toothy at least mm-hmm. the stone one he has too the name of the spanish general in the movie is cortez but in real life the man who tried to find el dorado was gonzalo bizarro okay i mean it makes it makes sense to go with cortez because ruthless he's, he's the conquistador that did awful awful things yeah, he's the he's the most known one. They don't shy away how like scary and awful this dude was in this movie, so. Yeah, for sure. So that was the last of my trivia. Let's talk about our opinions about the movie. What do you think? Okay. A little dated, you know, they made the white man the god. They're also the heroes throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very much white savior. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I watched this movie as a kid, but it was kind of like how I was with like Danny Phantom or like Avatar The Last Airbender. To me as a kid, I was like, it's on. And my sister has the remote, so I have no <laughs> say. say in the matter. Yeah. So I never really chose to watch this movie. Not that I didn't enjoy my time. It was just like, I have ADHD. So it was a little too <laughs> slow and like mellow at times for me. Fair. It was fun. It's very much, I could definitely understand why this movie is a comfort movie. Mm-hmm. It's not like nothing's happening, but it's a little, a little more low key and like just boopity boop, you know? Boopity boop. There's some really good songs. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There isn't a crazy amount of action. Definitely towards the beginning, but there's like a the later half that is kind of a lull. I can see where, I those are my favorites though, because like when he's exploring the city and that. Yeah, those parts are fun. Yeah, They're yeah. They're fun. Uh-huh. But as a child, my brain was a little too all over the place and I get to that. sit still. I get that. Yeah. That being said, my favorite movie to watch as a child was Alice in Wonderland. And there's a whole <laughs> lot of time in that movie where she is just walking around. Yeah. It's more colorful, I guess. They're not colorful. And it's just, I really do believe like with kids, like it's just the different movies that grab your attention. It could be for any reason. Oh, yeah. Because I know this movie isn't that popular, but I remember vividly watching this as a child, like pretty often. Um, there was just something different about it in my head. Yeah. And I, I understand what's enjoyable about it. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it now. And I like the songs and it obviously stuck with me at least a little bit mm-hmm. but i do fully understand why this movie might not have done well it's it's a little slightly more historical or serious elements about it and i think that's what turned me off to it as a child i was like they're trying to get me to learn and i don't like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're not hiding it they're not hiding it <laughs> They're trying to make me learn about things, even <laughs> though the, some of the information is incorrect. It, this I wouldn't say this movie is historically accurate. No, <laughs> but it feels it feels it like feels yeah a timepiece-ish kind of movie. Yeah, but I do love the like the buddy comedies in general. So I do like their dynamic. I think that's fun. If you have a best friend, you can always see little bits of each other. Yes, one of you's a little angrier than the other one. <laughs> <And> one of you <laughs> one has of more you... anxiety than the other one. Yeah, 
it switches off with us, honestly. It does, though. It depends on the situation. <laughs> yeah, it does, actually. One person's definitely... One person has a goal and will get mad at you for deterring it. Yeah. One person definitely is the dumber one in <laughs> the friend group. You could be both smart, but there's definitely yeah. going to be one of you that is more of the dummy. We have our moments. One of my favorite quotes in the movie is like, you know that little voice in your head that tells you to stop while you're ahead? You don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like an impulse control thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely happens with the two of us. Sometimes one of us will just do something and we're like, oh my God, you are you're making it really hard for me to be on your side right now. <laughs> definitely. Yep. You got to quit while you're ahead, buddy. <laughs> quit while you're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> But I do remember seeing Shell as a child and being like, I think I might be a little gay. <laughs> um, that was all of us <laughs> growing up about. I was like, I'm a little gay and I want bangs now. Now <laughs> <laughs> I want bangs. This is not to say that it's like in the middle. It's like a little above the middle yeah, for me. I get that. That makes sense. Like a seven or something like that. Yeah. But we don't have to rate we're it. Not rating yeah, it. We're not rating we're it. Not rating. We're not rating it. I need to hear what you have to say first. Yeah. Like I said, one of those movies I grew up watching a lot. I do think this is a very gorgeous movie. Mm -hmm. DreamWorks early on 2D animation is very pretty. It's it makes me miss 2D animation. Mm -hmm. the, the craftsmanship of it. Definitely. That scene where Altivo jumps off the boat. Tulio jumps in after him. If you listen to the score, the moment where they have to grab hands and pull each other up on the boat. It's mm -hmm. such a beautiful score. It's just one of those things that always stuck with me. Yeah. I do think this movie is funny. It's cute. It has insane amount of adult jokes in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're fucking at one point. Yeah, there, there's a... A lot of people call it the blowjob scene. Because <laughs> his head pops yeah. up on this end. Her pops up on this end. Yeah. It's right there. It's right there. And that's not the reason why I like it. But it is one of those kids movies where you're like, that wasn't a kid movie. <laughs> I can't believe this is PG. It'll age with you. Like It'll age with you. Yeah. This is one of those movies where I picked and, you know, as I read through reviews, I'm like, okay, yeah, I understand why. Maybe this movie didn't age the best way in some component. Like what we talked about, it has definitely white savior moments. And also like some people describe this movie as like racist and, you know, with the depictions of the people of the city of El Dorado. Yeah, not a thoughtful portrayal. Mm -hmm. And I have a critic review where they talk about it more in depth, but we'll get to that point. Yeah. And I'm sure they'll say in a more succinct way. Yes, they will. Like you were saying with the humor and it still being funny, there there's some pretty like timeless type of jokes in this movie too. Like whenever he's cutting the, the vines and he's like, we'll go, we'll forge our, the path we forge yeah. or whatever. And it's just a wall. It's just you a know? wall. That trail we blaze. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to add? Nope. You want to move on to critic reviews? Yeah, sure. So I wanted to include this just for you to see. On Rotten Tomatoes, from critics, it got 48%. From audience members, it got 66%. Critics did not like this movie. Yeah. The good ones I have are like three out of five. Yeah. So we have a review by Marjorie Baumgarten, written back in 2000 when the movie came out. Parish today, we return to cartoons for historical accuracy. A philosophy that serves the, the road to El Dorado well for this new animated picture is more buddy movie than informative history lesson. Obviously, there's a lot of imaginative leeway regarding the topic of El Dorado, given that it's a mythical realm in the first place. It's a scenario you can easily picture being played by Hope and Crosby in any of the Road 2 movies, or by any of the great comedy pairs from Laurel and Hardy to Martin and Lewis. And if the road to El Dorado is success, you can most probably count on seeing a whole new animated row two series Klein and braun are in top form here lending their vocal talent to the lead characters the pairing seems comfortable and right as they joke and 
cavort. At one point, they even skinny dip together and bare their naked twitches. <laughs> Which brings us to another point. The movie is rated PG, not G. So with images such as animated rear, male nudity, and curvaceous and midriff bearing man babes, and language that includes impolite words <laughs> like hell and crappy are bothersome, then take the movie's parental guidance adversary to heart. These aspects seem, in fact, rather gratuitous and certainly not narratively necessary. The songs by Ellen John and Tim Rice are lackluster and instantly forgettable. Otherwise, the animation is beautifully vivid and multidimensional in appearance, though the characters favor the same lanky angularity, except for the aforementioned curvaceous shell. These DreamWorks animators used in the debut work, The Prince of Egypt. As a competitor, the DreamWorks team continues to give Disney a run for their money. They latch onto a franchise with this hodgepodge row two buddy gimmick. They may be on the expressway to success. They won't. <laughs> the zoo <Yeah>. bombed. <laughs> it did. It did. But they didn't like it for the wrong reasons. They didn't like it for the wrong reasons. It, it seems like they had issues with it, but they're also like very confident in DreamWorks that it'll become like this big franchise. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. No. <laughs> no. And I, I, do, I, I understand the comparison to The Prince of Egypt. I'm not saying that Elton John's music is lackluster. It's great and it, it's fitting mm-hmm. and it's catchy and they're good songs. But they are not as like grand and big as like The Prince of Egypt music, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And I don't think you should be comparing soundtracks together. Yeah, it's just the same animators. Yeah, it's just the same animators. They are two completely different movies, so... They are. Was this a positive one? This was a positive one. That's what it felt like. Because they they seem confident that it'll go far, but, like, they understand that some things might be wrong with it. Which which I get. There's a reason why I guess this movie wasn't as popular. But it's, again, with DreamWorks, it's always going to be comparing it to their last success. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's always a worse one than whatever one you're critiquing. Yeah. Um, unless it's the B movie. You really don't like that movie, do you? I've watched it again since like watching it as a child. Yeah. It's not a good movie. It's weird. It's a the weird. Lady's trying to fuck a bee. She is. <laughs> she is. There she are is. moments in that movie that are good. It's just weird. There are. It is weird. I get it. It's not a fun watch. It's not a kid's movie. It doesn't. It's animated for kids. And that's about it. They beat the fucking movie into the ground with the fucking B-movie script shirts and shit. Yeah. That's more of the reason why I don't like it is the meme it became. The meme, yeah. But it's such a weird movie. It, it makes sense it became a meme because it is yeah. just one of those movies where it's like, what the fuck was that? So we got this idea. It's Jerry Seinfeld as a B. Jerry Seinfeld pitched this, I bet. Picture this. <laughs> I can't do a Jerry good. Seinfeld impression. That was good. That was good. I, guess I heard it. I heard it. Um, What's the deal with bees? <laughs> was good that was good i like that <laughs> move on move on yeah we're gonna move on <laughs> so this next review is from a website called rachel's reviews this was back in 2017 she breaks down why she thinks this movie's racist okay some of these dreamworks reviews i must own i am not looking forward to and some i've already reviewed on this blog the 2000 film the road to el dorado would be true on both counts back in 2015 i reviewed the film and i really hated it I give it an F, in fact, which is pretty rare for me with animation. I've now seen it a second time, and is it still the tawdry, insulting junk of my last watch? Well, yes and no. I still hate it, but it has a few more 
pluses that maybe I admitted on the first watch. Unfortunately, it's just hard to give a movie a pass that I find wildly racist and misogynistic, which is the case with The Road to El Dorado. Let's talk about the positives. First of all, the animation, particularly the backgrounds, are beautiful. Every background has a watercolor feel and is rich with layers and color. They clearly did their homework and captured the Mexican landscape and Mayan temples well. The score is also excellent by Hans Zimmer and reminds me a bit of his Pirates of the Caribbean scores. While no Lion King, Ellen John does give us some decent songs including the catchy it's tough to be a god so that's my positives now for the <laughs> negatives hey hey can't lie those are probably my positives too <laughs> yeah i don't pretend to be an expert on mayan culture or anything like that but it really bothers me how the native people are portrayed in this film i get that white worship actually happened and i get that the sacrificial tribe is a trope seen in many movies like indiana jones and the temple of doom and the original king kong all of that i understand however usually when these rituals are portrayed it is with a certain degree of reverence and solemnity you feel afraid for the white people because the natives have their beliefs and the two groups can't communicate anything different with each other. The natives aren't necessarily wrong, they just have different beliefs that put our heroes in peril. In the Road to El Dorado, they can communicate and the natives are so stupid and the rituals and culture are treated like such a joke, it's hard for me to watch. For instance, in an early scene, you see the natives throwing keeps of gold into the water. Even if you buy that they had this much gold, there's no sense of gravitas or awe at the sacrifice. It's treated like, oh, those stupid natives, in quotes. The leader of the natives, Tanabok, is given so many opportunities to see that Tulio and Miguel are bad news and he never suspects or questions. It made him look really stupid and I felt it was demeaning. Meanwhile, the villain of the movie, Tekel Khan, figures out they aren't gods and is treated as a sniveling bad guy when I actually relate to him the most. Never a good sign. I will say that that's a good point that the only person who was quote-unquote smart enough to catch on to what they were doing is portrayed as a bad person, which implies that native people being smart enough to catch on is a bad thing or a villainous thing to do. That they would interrupt the white man's plan mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. part of my other problem with the portrayal of the natives is i find miguel and tulio to be irredeemably unlikable this makes it super awkward when they are worshipped only because of the color of their skin they are not friendly or kind but real jerks too all involved they are even annoying and unlikable to each other they have no <laughs> problem stealing the natives treasure and making all kinds of demands it makes me very uncomfortable you are also supposed to be invested in a female love interest for tulio named shell she's supposed to be strong because she figures out the con but she quickly becomes a puppet to whatever the boys want to do she turns on her own people and is willing to steal without much discussion or hesitation. She also wears a pretty slinky outfit and at one point clearly has sex with Tulio, which made me very uncomfortable for a DreamWorks film. Her relationship with Tulio was one of many ways she is a flat character ruled by the whims of the male characters. This movie definitely doesn't pass the Bechdel test, that's for sure. She was a total miss for me. Like I said, there are some good things about this film, but I find the bad to sink any enjoyment I get out of it. It is unpleasant to watch and I at least can't go over the racism and misogyny on display. If Miguel and Tulio have been more likable, maybe I could have gone along with it, but they aren't and yet they are worshipped? No thank you. Plus, they are never held for account for all the gold they steal and what they are about to do. They ride off into the sunset having had a great adventure. Never mind the chaos you left behind. Ugh. It's just not my cup of tea. I understand all that. The way that the movie is structured, you're you're not supposed to root for anybody but the white dudes the whole time. So I get it. But also it's one of those things where it's like, this is a kid's movie from 2000. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how to articulate what I mean. I'm not saying that any of the what happened in this movie is okay. I understand how it can make you uncomfortable. But I think if you're watching it as an adult who knows better and you find some enjoyment in it, that's okay. Definitely. Yeah. With the shell thing, they do set her up to be, because she is interesting in the beginning. 
and then she just her character completely falls back yeah compared to everything else that happens and we don't get to really explore her character at all yeah so i thought this review just like brought up important fact or important a perspective to look at the movie with yeah yeah so this next one is this was written in 2001 by felix vasquez is this negative or positive uh negative they really wrote a negative review on el dorado a year later a year later 12 days after 9-11 oh <gasps> they did <laughs> what were you doing oh my god they did i didn't even look at the date holy shit doing? this was a week weren't we in mourning this was a week <laughs> after holy shit that okay that's so fucking funny to be fair maybe they're trying to get their mind off it they're taking their energy into something else so what this person had to say was it's a shame that the film with such a talent and imagery behind it ended up being ultimately a waste of time and effort. For a film marketed for two children, I was shocked how utterly suggestive it tended to be. But beyond that, there's really nothing worth remembering. With forgettable characters and performances, it's a waste. For a movie marketed to kids and advertised practically nonstop, it's a shame it can't be considered even interesting children's entertainment. Not to mention the lackluster, incredibly dull musical score. The animation is sharp and very fluid with Kenneth Braun and Kevin Klein giving respectful performances. The villain played by Armandi Asante is also very menacing. The problem with El Dorado is it moves way too quickly. The plot moves into warp speed. Instead of getting to know the characters, they're already on the journey to El Dorado within 15 minutes of the film. Things go way too easily for the main characters of the film. In the beginning, the map is seized easily. The gambler bets the map in the bet. Where'd he, where'd he get the map? Who is he? Why bet something that could grant him unbelievable ri riches? The journey to El Dorado was also too easy. They bump into sexy maiden shell who was attempting to steal gold from El Dorado. <laughs> Let's say I was waiting for it. Yeah, sorry. Julia Miguel from Mistaken for Gods and are easily taken to El Dorado. My goodness, if only Indiana Jones' adventures were this simple. The enemy is very one-dimensional and barbaric. A lot of giggling and very few segments where we see the villain in his lair. For a movie with a lot of sexual references and cursing, the villain is defeated non-violently. The plot and story were way too simple, which made El Dorado dumb, cheesy, and simple. The ending is, as well, very unsatisfying. Why didn't the writers of the movie give us the crowd, the time? to get to know the characters or feel for them to show off the animation maybe they ran out of ideas seems like him well i'll just say i think they did a good enough job of letting you get to know the main characters the two the two guys mm -hmm. you see them interacting with each other you get who they are they're con artists best friends and you get to know their personalities yeah i will say i don't think a kid's movie needs to tell you everything mm -hmm. like where the the first guy got the map that is a good question though <laughs> it's a good question but it's one of those things where it leaves it up to mystery and does it matter no if it's one of those things where like okay if this was all involved this person would be writing about like we have all this extra details that we don't need in the movie it, exactly it'd be too convoluted yeah it does not matter the story just needed to start. That's the whole thing. If it were more of like a scheme as to why the villain was evil to the people of the town mm -hmm. and like they weren't portrayed as quote unquote stupid like they are in this movie. Like if they were people and a little more of a reason as to why this guy was able to trick them in the first place and why these dudes were so able to trick them and like i think with the main characters it makes a little bit of sense when you're like being told for years the gods are gonna come save us like the gods are coming like we're waiting for the gods mm -hmm. but the villain i needed a little more motivation from him so i do agree that he's a little one-dimensional and barbaric so i kind of get what they're saying there like i needed a little more from him because it in turn makes the people of this 
this village look stupid. No, I totally agree with what you were saying, though. I, I do agree with that. Mm-hmm. There was one point where, for a movie with a lot of sexual references and cursing, the villain is defeated nonviolently. <sighs> it's a kid's movie. You're too used to Disney deaths, I guess. Yeah. But also, like, if you think about it, his ending is pretty brutal. He doesn't necessarily die, but he's not going to have a great existence. He's taken by Cortez. He's, I mean, he's going to have a terrible life after that. Yeah. It's a fucked up ending for him. It's a really fucked up ending for that. That character i could see some of the things they were saying it's not like they didn't have any points oh no no i i do think they had some points there was just a few things where i was like mm. yeah we're gonna move on to roger ebert this is a positive one he gave it a three out of five stars so he wrote this back in 2000 there is a moment in the road to el dorado where the two heroes and their profoundly dubious horse are in a rowboat somewhere in the ocean off central america it looks like the end then a seabird appears, circles, and lands on their boat. This is a good omen. Land must be near. Then the bird drops dead. Bad sign. Then a shark leaps out of the sea and snaps up the bird in one gulp. Finally, gag on top of gag is the strategy of the film, a bright and zesty animated comedy from DreamWorks. In the studio's quest to compete with Disney in the feature-length animation sweepstakes, it's a worth <laughs> it's a worthy Ooh. entry. Ooh. It's not as quirky as ants or as grown up as the prince of egypt but as silly fun it does nicely and no wonder its directors are disney veterans and the soundtrack includes such effective cartoon voices as kevin klein kenneth braun armand asante ever james olmos and the unsinkable rosie perez the movie has songs by ellen john and tim rice which may grow on me but haven't yet and some funny comedy sequences the best may be the invention of the game of basketball with a living ball a round little creature who contributes his own moves to the game more comedy comes in as their friends realize the game is up and try to sneak away with some gold of their own there are no serious themes lurking about or uplifting lessons to learn just a couple of comments and they're in over their heads their gal pal and a horse that some of the time is smarter than the other three put together since the horse doesn't speak it's able to exploit the miming gifts of the animators this is not a landmark in the history of feature animation but it's bright and has good energy and the kinds of witty asides that entertain the adults in between the margins of the stuff for the kids yeah that, that last sentence is true mm-hmm. yeah Overall, I think he has some good things to say about it. Um, I don't yeah. like that he's on the fence with the Ellen John soundtrack. I hope it grows on him. Yeah, I hope it did at some point. Let's move on to audience reviews. Start with a 10 out of a 10. It's a good movie regardless of what people say. It's been <laughs> 2018. It may not be the most child-appropriate movie, although most would go over their heads, but it is still a great film. It's colorful and captivating. The soundtrack is phenomenal. I laugh every time I watch it, and I have watched it over 100 times. Yeah, that's your pitch. Yeah. I, I put it in a second one because I thought it was, it was needed. Yeah. This was a 10 out of 10 as well. It's right. How the hell is it rated so low? It's so good. It's written in 2020. The Road to El Dorado is a wonderful animated movie that is very nostalgic, especially because I grew up with it and loving it. It's one of my favorite movies. It's quite possibly one of the best I've ever seen and it's so original and hilarious that you love it instantly. I cannot believe it has a 6.9 on here and 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Trust me, those reviews are wrong. Dizzy should literally learn from the style of storytelling in an animated movie. It's quite incredible. One out of ten. Not something for kids. I was greatly disappointed with this cartoon. To begin with, it was supposed to be for children, wasn't it? Because there's a whole lot in here which I was definitely shocked to see in a cartoon. Female character wears a very revealing outfit, and there are a number of times where the characters are involved in adult situations. The story had potential. There was a number of funny parts, especially at the beginning, but the rest of it dragged. The music, which I always consider very important, was not the least bit entertaining, but such a bore that it was only the amusing visuals that kept me from fast-forwarding. What 
really put me off, as mentioned before, was the adult content. It just doesn't seem right to leave it in a children's cartoon. There wasn't any sweet romance in it, but rather something else, which keeps me from recommending it as something for kids to watch. I'm not going to disagree that this is not the most appropriate kids movie out there. I'll agree with that. It is not. Yeah. <laughs> this is a five star from Letterboxd. It says, I can't believe there was a time in my life where I thought Miguel and Tulio's relationship was platonic. <laughs> <laughs> three stars if you don't want the audience to ship your two male leads and don't have ellen john write and sing a breakup song for them well <laughs> yeah good, good point good, good point. point three out of ten stars from imdb it's written 2000 we can convolute a story I found it hard to believe that the talent at DreamWorks made this boring, bland formula movie. The two lean characters are likable enough, but the movie itself is awful. The Iron Giant and Tarzan were much better entertainment than this junkie is sometimes inappropriate movie. Eh, I'll give them that. Iron Giant. And you know what? Tarzan. I like Tarzan. I do like Tarzan. And fucking Phil Collins put his whole pussy in them. <laughs> <laughs> he really did. I agree. Two good movies. But I like this one too. Three and a half stars. I love this one. Three and a <laughs> half stars from Letterboxd. Dreamworks second sexiest, sexiest film. It's right behind Shark Tale. <laughs> I mean, look, look. They got a similar formula going, okay? Two dummies and a hot character. Uh-huh. AKA Angelina Jolie as a fish. That was one of them too. It it's Shell in this movie and Angelina <laughs> Jolie's fish in Shark Tale. Those were two big ones. Both of them, I look at them and I hear, it's sexy lady. <laughs> Um, this next one is four stars from Box. I just like it because it's a good quote. More like mm -hmm. Shell Dorado. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> four stars from Box. Okay, so when is someone going to film a live action remake with Oscar Isaac as Tulio and Dom Gleason as Miguel and the relationship is totally not just platonic anymore? So I would yeah. actually flip it. Oscar Isaac as Miguel and Pedro Pascal as Tulio. That's how I yeah. would cast this live action movie. I could kind of see with their dynamic, I could see Oscar Isaac being a little more Tulio. You think? Yeah. This is the reviewer that said, stop telling me I look like <laughs> Avril Lavigne's as the possum. And <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. You still do look you like her. You still look like her a little bit. It's not, it's not an insult. I'm not insulting no. you. You just no. do. <laughs> Take that yeah. as you will. <laughs> Yeah. This is five stars from Letterboxd. I want to see the armadillo fight the squirrel from Ice Age. I want to see like every animal sidekick yeah. fight the squirrel from Ice Age or like pull his acorn out and be like, yeah you know it's like it's not that hard i feel like if you put if you, we were doing this if we were putting all the little side characters <laughs> anime side characters we had a fucking bracket yes <laughs> Tur if, tournament style bracket and if we did side by side all the little side characters fighting the squirrel and i'm talking about like mm -hmm. voiceless little side characters like the chameleon from rapunzel literally what i was thinking yeah 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 yeah, yeah. like literally that like think of all the movies like that fighting the squirrel from ice age of or around equal size to the squirrel we don't want it to be unfair yeah exactly like we can't we're not gonna put altivo the horse yeah, against no, him like no. relative to same size the squirrel's yeah. gonna win every time yeah he's got psycho energy he's got psychopath energy he's gonna win he also has butterfingers though he does have butterfingers but he's i don't know i just feel like he would turn yeah like the rage would come out <laughs> mm-hmm all right Three out of ten stars from IMDb. <laughs> the row to... I didn't even read the title when I put this one down. Oh my I god. I would have screenshotted it just for the title. <laughs> the row to El Dolorado. <laughs> Dol. D-U-L-L. -L. Yes. Range Lawson. What can I say? I nearly fell asleep during the film. After The Prince of Egypt, I was expecting more from DreamWorks. I took my kids to see the film, and we left the theater. My 12-year-old son said the movie was okay. And that's it. Just okay. Since seeing the movie, neither of my kids has mentioned the film. 
They haven't been humming any of the tunes. They haven't recited a single line of dialogue from the film. I hate to say it, but I'd rather sit through another viewing of Pikachu's vacation <laughs> than watch this film ever again. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like this, this is a three, you know, I think they, they did make a mistake in trying to find any semblance of comparison between this and the Prince of Egypt. It's just the style of animation. That's it. Mm -hmm. But I understand going into it. You're like, wow, we were wowed with that one. Let's see what they have next. I get I get that. OK, it's hard. It's kind of hard not to in the context of the time. Yeah. yeah. But like, what are you expecting your kid to say to you? Like that was the best movie ever. Like, what do you want them to say? They sat still, didn't they? Yeah, they watched it. <laughs> Yeah. It's not exactly a scathing review. It's not scathing. No, seriously, there were only two one-star reviews on IMDb and one yeah. long, long two-star one. So I had to go to the three-star ones. Yeah, understandable. I don't think your kid's going to be blown away by every movie. I understand maybe you don't want to sit through and waste money on a movie that your kid thinks is just okay. I get it to an extent. Yeah. This next one's from Letterboxd. It's three and a half stars. I forgot about this and forgot DreamWorks used to make 2D animation films. Never seen it, but it heard it was a flop. I'm used to seeing their other animations like Shrek, but this had some gorgeous animation. The voice work was good. It had a good adventure story and was fun. The songs by Ellen John were great. Fair enough. I'm glad that they, they had heard it was a flop and still came out enjoying it. Yeah, exactly. This is our last review. This is 10 out of 10. Still one of my favorites. We're in 2021. The Road to El Dorado is, a, is tied as my favorite animated movie. Only Aladdin has kept me engaged and entertained as this one. The music is among the best movie soundtracks ever. Thank you, Elton. And the animation is so crisp. For a movie that's 20 years old, it still holds up with today's animation. This movie was my mm -hmm. favorite as a kid and will remain for the rest of my life on the trail we blaze. And I agree with this one. Like, I still like it for these same reasons. Yeah. If you had to rate it, would you rate it? Mm, I think a six and a half out of ten, I would say. That's fair. It's certainly enjoyable. A comfy movie. It has its issues. What about you? Uh, I'm going to say an eight out of ten. I still really, really like this movie. Okay, that's fair. Anything else you wanted to add, though? No. I think I'm done. All right. So if you have any feedback for us or movie suggestions, you can reach out to us on our Instagram at Easy Bake Takes. We also have a TikTok at Easy Bake Takes. And we have a website where we post our transcripts and our review overviews, which is EasyBakeTakesPodcast.com. And don't forget to share us with a friend or follow or leave a review wherever you listen. And thank you so much for listening. My name is Kat. And I'm Riley. This has been Easy Bake Takes. Easy watching out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.